I bring you greetings from my congregation in uh, Cape Coral, Florida, Tikvat Shalom. We're a new congregation. We started less than a year ago, and already we're small. But um, God has been very good, and I've been enjoying uh, planting a congregation in my 60s. Uh, I planted a congregation when I was in my 20s, and uh, it's pretty much the same, except I'm not pretty much the same. You know, 40-something years uh, takes its toll on you, or at least brings out certain uh, maturity in you. I'm going to be speaking from Matthew chapter 5. I had all, I had all these great passages I wanted to talk from, but... Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 16. Yeshua is speaking, and he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its flavor, how shall it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown down, thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the salt of the earth. Let me ask you a question. How many of you woke up this morning and felt, I am the salt of the earth? Be honest. I got one. How does it feel? feels, I knew you were going to say that. But then it goes on. And it says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, so they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world. Do you feel like the light of the world? You kind of accept in faith, all right, I'm the light of the world. But I want you to think about what that means, to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. While I was driving up here, yes, I drove from Florida, Um, I was talking to Robert, and uh, he said, well, how long have you been a believer? How did you become a believer? And uh, I've got to tell you, it's a mystery in some ways to me. I became a believer. I, I feel funny saying I became a believer because as far back as I can remember, I was a believer. I believed in God since I was a child. The first person that ever taught me that God loved me was my mother. From the time I was three, which is about as, is about as far back as I remember, I think I took notes before then, but um, I always believed in God. We went to synagogue, and uh, my mother taught me trust in God. Now, you could say, well, she didn't believe in Yeshua, and it wasn't a Yeshua faith, but you know what? 
we believed in the God and Father of the Lord Yeshua HaMashiach. It's in the Bible. I always trusted in God. And my mother always trusted in God. I became a follower of Yeshua when I was 18, when I was in college. Don't try to figure out my age from that, but it's been almost 43 years. I'll, I'll leave it at that. When I became a believer, it was not because somebody shared the magic Bible verse with me. You know what that is, right? Isaiah 53. Who else could it be? You know, and they showed me that verse. And you know what my response was? So what? And they were like, what do we do now? And then they brought me, you know, philosophical arguments, the Josh McDowell, you know, he's either a lord, a lunatic, and a liar, and didn't do a thing for me. You know why? First of all, I think that's a bad reason to believe. I, I, I work alone, so if you have music, no. Um, if you accepted Yeshua because you lost the argument. That means if someone comes up with a better argument, what are you going to do? Give up faith? It wasn't the verses. And it wasn't the arguments. I became a, a follower of Yeshua because I saw Yeshua in my friends. See, when I look at people, people have problems. You ever met somebody without problems? If you did, it means you haven't spent enough time around them. Everybody's got problems. Some people have bad problems. Some people have mild problems. But everybody has problems. And our friends are the people that we learn to accept them with their problems. So if you look at them, you're seeing them. But if people let you see Yeshua in their lives, and you can see him. He is irresistible. At least he was to me. I saw Yeshua in my friends' lives, and I wanted to know him. That's what got me to draw near to him, and that's how I became a believer. Later on, I reread Isaiah 53 and all the other magic verses, and they were encouraging, and they were strengthening and affirming, but they didn't bring me to faith. It was an encounter with Yeshua through the life, through the lives of my friends. That's what the verse says. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. So let your light shine before men that they might see. How do you let your light shine before men? You just be nice to them? Nice is good. I like nice. Problem is we don't always show nice. You ever get into an argument with somebody? Of course you did, you're a believer. We get into arguments. Arguments don't lead people to Yeshua. Arguments don't let people see Yeshua. In kindness, people see Yeshua. Doing mitzvot, following the Torah, 
people can see Yeshua. How? It's, it's a strange thing. It shows in your face. When you lift your heart to God, people can see the Lord in you. I hope, I want people to see the Lord in me. I talked about, well, I didn't talk about it. You mentioned that I direct a ministry called Hevra. I originally became involved with this ministry in the early, well, early 90s as the Soviet Union fell apart. I was working, uh, I was actually leading a congregation in New York City in Manhattan. And a friend of mine who was a Jewish believer from Brooklyn who became uh, an Assemblies of God missionary to Malawi, Africa, who I met on a trip to Israel. How does that? Um, he called me one day and said, I'm back in the States and I want to join the Messianic movement. I said, great, love to have you. A few months later, he said, God's calling us to Poland. And I said, better you than me. And he said, why? I said, it's the world's biggest Jewish cemetery. They killed six million Jews there. I said, my family was from Poland and they left for a good reason. Well, he said, well, we feel it's God's will. I said, well, God bless you. Send me a postcard. A few months later, he called me up and said, I want you to go to Poland. And I said, no way. And he said, no, really. And I said, really, no way. And he said, well, it's not really for Poland. I want you to go to the former Soviet Union with me. I said, even worse. And he said, why? I said, well, I read the, I see the news reports and you have to wait four hours online for a, to a roll of toilet paper. I said, I don't need that. And he just said, Michael, go and bring your own toilet paper, but come to Ukraine because we had 150 people who prayed to accept Yeshua and they're Jewish. And the only one to teach them is the Orthodox priest. And he's telling them if they light Shabbat candles, they go to hell. And I was like, oh, why did you tell me that? So I spoke to the elders of our congregation and they raised the money for my ticket. And I filled my suitcases with toilet, uh, toilet paper and Hershey bars to give out to people. And, uh, and, I, and, and we went. And uh, as I saw these people, humble people, poor as dirt, they didn't have heat in the winter. They were bundled up with clothing. My heart was touched. And I asked the Lord if I could come back again. A few months later, they asked me to come back to teach a seminar for leaders. So I got two other Messianic leaders to come. And we had a two-week seminar in a small village called Ojanino, uh, which is somewhere outside of Rovno, which doesn't mean a thing to you, I know. But while we were there, uh, we had 35 students from all over the former Soviet Union, and I was teaching them, and we, we, had, we had classes, and I figured, being the genius that I, I know I'm not, um, I figured we have two weeks 
So in between, let's have a Shabbat service because these guys have probably never seen a Shabbat service. So we started planning it. And the guy who ran this ministry, a Polish Jewish believer, came up to me and said, we have a problem. Now when he says we have a problem, he usually takes care of it. And he just wants you to know he took care of it. So I said, what's the problem? And he said, well, Jewish people from the villages heard that we're having a Shabbat service and they want to come. And I'm like, why is that a problem? Let them come. He looks at me and goes, Michael, don't be foolish. It could be 5,000 people. And I'm like, what are we going to do? He said, I took care of it. We had a fleet of buses because it was the time during the great Russian immigration to Israel. We didn't, remember the Exodus boats? We didn't do the boats. We had buses that took people to the boats because when you sold everything you had, you had no way to get there and it could be hundreds of miles. So he said, I sent out buses to each village and we're getting a, a delegation of 20 people from each village. This was important because the building we were in held 135 people. So I said, do you think one of those villages might have a synagogue with a Torah scroll we could borrow? He said, oh yeah, I'll ask the rabbi and we'll borrow one. And I'm like, <laughs> rabbis are not going to loan us their Torah scroll. He says, no, they will. And I'm like, what makes you think that they're going to loan us a Torah scroll? He said, when the government gave them a building, it needed a new roof. We paid for their roof. That Saturday morning, I had 35 Messianic students. No instruments, but singing Messianic songs. It was exciting. It was electric. We had 100 Jewish people from the villages. Not believers, but all excited. The rabbi came in carrying this Torah scroll, and he assisted me in leading the Torah service. I never in my life would have believed that I would see such a thing. But we lifted up Yeshua. Before the service started, the rabbi leaned over and said to me, you know, I called the chief rabbi of Ukraine, and I asked, is it permissible to loan a Torah scroll to Messianic Jews? And he said, no, it's forbidden. He said, I hung up the phone and said, who cares what he thinks? <laughs> so we, it gets better. <laughs> Wait. So we have the Torah service. When we carried that Torah around the room, people were crying because most of them had not seen a Torah service since before the Germans invaded in 1941. That's when they invaded Ukraine. And people were crying. And we had our service. And we lifted up the Lord. After the service, Leshek, well, the guy, that's the guy who I worked with. In early 90s in Ukraine, getting meat in large quantities was very hard to come by. He managed to get 40 chickens, which may not sound like much to you, but he said nobody should go home hungry on Shabbat. 
And I was thinking, what a man. She had ladies in the basement cooking this, these chickens. And he came up to me and said, they're running late in the kitchen. Stall them. I said, okay. So I did what we do in America. Stand up and tell us where you're from. And yeah, it was the worst mistake I ever made. Every story was worse than the one that was before it. We're from the city of Slavota, and before the war we had 20,000 Jews, and now we have uh, 1,200, and we need help, and we need this, and we need that. And the next one said, before the war we had this many Jews, and, this, and they were killed by the Germans, and it, we have this many left, and it was horrible. And then finally, one elderly man stood up, and he said, why are we dwelling on our sorrows when we should be giving gratitude to the people who have helped us. And all the humanitarian workers were in the room standing up and they stood up and cheered for these humanitarian workers who brought them food and clothing and help. And that's not what moved me. I saw Leshek, the man in charge, sitting in the back of the sanctuary. Nobody knew who he was. Nobody was giving him any honor. And he had a huge smile on his face, watching his workers get all the glory. And I have to tell you, I had never seen that. I knew that's what was supposed to be, but I had never seen it. What I usually saw was, no, don't thank me, thank the Lord. You know, there was none of that. And I was touched, and I prayed, and I asked the Lord to make a place for me in this work. I started coordinating the Messianic discipleship for leaders. And then I became involved with the humanitarian work. I visit our soup kitchens and help establish soup kitchens. We feed thousands of elderly Jewish people. Over the past 20 years, we've been feeding Holocaust survivors who would die if we didn't have food. I was in one village called Borislav, and there was a group of Holocaust survivors, and uh, it was Purim. Funny, it's this time of year. And uh, we made a party for them. And this one elderly lady named Rita calls me over. I use a translator, by the way, but you really need a translator if you want to have a meaningful conversation. She grabbed my arm and she said, I want to express gratitude. When you help poor people, you never want them to feel beholding to you. So I said, you don't have to thank me. This is my job. She said, she grabbed my arm harder. She goes, you don't understand. I used to be the chief physician for this region, and now I'm living on $35 a month. If it weren't for this soup kitchen, I would be dead. And if it weren't for this soup kitchen, all these people would be dead. So we are grateful. 
I composed myself and I said, it is my great privilege and honor to help you. They know who we are. Without shoving the gospel down anyone's throat, by feeding people, by showing kindness to people, we planted over 40 Messianic congregations in the former Soviet Union. We've helped, helped strengthen other Messianic congregations beside. We work in the former Soviet Union. We work in Israel. Um, I just got back from Israel 10 days ago. Uh, I don't visit the, the popular places. I was in a small village called Ramla, uh, and met with a widow from Ukraine with seven children. I used to visit her in Ukraine. She, she wasn't a widow then, but they were poor. We helped them get to Israel, and I met her and her children, and they were kind of grown up now. Uh, and then we visited the leader of their congregation. And their leader told me, his name is Ariel, and he told me, Americans don't support us, they support the people in Tel Aviv and in Jerusalem and in Haifa. And nobody knows about us. We're forgotten. So I directed our humanitarian people to start sending them stuff. And we're helping their congregation. My congregation kind of adopted them. Um, I was in Ukraine three months ago. You know there's a war that is still going on. Um, officially, there are 25,000 refugees in the city of Zaporozhye from the Donbas region and uh, Donetsk, where I, I used to visit there all the time because we had uh, congregations there. It's, it's a war zone. People are living in basements. They, have, they officially have 25,000 uh, refugees. They actually have 95,000. And there are not, there's not much relief aid going on. And for the Jews, there's almost nothing. Uh, we are partnered with the head of the Jewish agency in Zaporosha. They lost their funding and we said we wanted to open up soup kitchens to help with the Jewish refugees. They gave us all their names and said, go right ahead. And they thanked us. They gave me, you know, kind of this award thing. It's not, but they were appreciative that Messianic Jews wanted to partner with them. This comes about by showing kindness, not just smiling at someone, but doing acts of kindness in Yeshua's name. I visited the soup kitchen there, or one of the soup kitchens. It had 55 people eating. And I try to be unobtrusive, you know, like I kind of stand in a corner and I try to get a few pictures without people noticing while they're eating. And uh, the the head of the Jewish agency grabbed me by the arm and took me into the middle of the room and he said, I want you to meet the man who's responsible for this soup kitchen for you. And the people applauded and I was embarrassed to death. And then what followed 
was one by one, these poor elderly people with slumped down shoulders stood up with their heads bowed down. And they said, we want to express our gratefulness for your help. And then they came to me afterwards and said, can we add 10 more people to this soup kitchen? I said, how many do you want to add? They said, we'd like to add, make it 100 and open up other ones. We could, have, we could be feeding 200 more people. And I said, what does it cost to feed someone here? They said, for one month, if we add 10 more, it'll cost $330 feeding people five days a week for a month is $33 a person. It's not a lot of money, but it's something we can do in Yeshua's name. There are a lot of people who want to be the voice of God. You know what I mean? They'd love to stand up and say, thus says the Lord, you're a sinner, you know. And, you know, that never did anything for me. I usually like to run from people like that. I want to be the hands of Yeshua, the hands that help and the hands that bless. You know why? Because that's what brings people to Yeshua. How do I know that? Yeshua said, let your light shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's how I became a believer. When we started a soup kitchen in the city of Jetomir, we told the guy who was in charge of it, Arkadi, not to put out any Bibles, not to put out any literature, not to do any preaching, just feed them. And for several weeks, we were feeding 700 people. And we didn't put out literature, we just fed them. People would ask, who are you people? What is it that you believe? Why are you doing this? They said, don't worry about it. We're just feeding you. They, they actually did what I said. That's a rare thing in the world. Most people don't do what I say at all. But after a few weeks, they kind of got around him and had him up against the wall and said, all right, what is it that you believe? And he said, well, we're starting a Bible study next week if you'd like to come. That Bible study turned into a congregation of 200-plus Jewish people without pushing it. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. This isn't a commercial for Hevra, but we have newsletters and a sign-up sheet if you want to find out what we're doing. And by the way, another ministry, First Fruits of Zion, prints and mails our newsletters free of charge. So you're not taking anything away from us if you sign up for the newsletter. 
If you want to give something to us, we would be grateful because it enables us to open up more soup kitchens or feed more people. We are only supported by the Messianic community. But we believe what we do is good. And what we do is worthy of support. But whether you support us or not, you all have lives where you live. You have people you work with. You have neighbors. Let your light shine before them that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. Shabbat Shalom.